testimony tonight. We thank you as we welcome you and your presence, the power of your spirit. Thank you, Lord God, that our hearts are open and ready to heed your word and to receive the engrafting of a word to change us. Thank you, Father God. We bless you, we honor you, we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. You're welcome again tonight. Hallelujah. Praise God. Day number three. Three down as of tonight and two to go. Praise God. <laughs> Welcome all of you. Amen. Justification by grace through faith. And so tonight I'm going to be going through Galatians chapter three. But before I do that, I had a couple of questions last night from the last PowerPoint that was uh, shown on the pardon and parole. Let me just quickly take a moment to explain that thoroughly so that I do not leave any confusion or questions. And by the way, if you have any questions about anything we have talked about or we're going to be talking about throughout this time, remember you can send them in through, uh, what's that? Pardon me? WhatsApp, email, and then of course, <laughs> and then of course, you can bring the question on Sunday morning. Because Sunday morning we're going to have a kingdom conversation where I get a chance to hear back from you and at the same time address any questions you may have relative to the subject matter. Amen? Okay, so now let's go to the uh, PowerPoint. All right, so on the left, or my left, you have the approach of law works, and on the right, shall I say my right, the approach of grace, which is faith. Uh, so the number one there is very clear. Uh, you can be a believer who operates under the uh, law, you believe, and same as a believer that operates under grace, believe. I said that number two, uh, a believer that operates under the law have the mindset that they have to do things in order to win God's favor. And they think unless they do things as in obey, they do not get accepted. So in that sense, that person or that believer is living a life like a paroled convict. Amen? On the right-hand side, the approach of grace. So you get born again by believing. And because you have the right teaching and the right mindset, you understand that you didn't do anything to deserve being born again. And consequently, God accepts you. According to the scriptures in Ephesians chapter 1, you are accepted in the beloved, not because you did anything. This is something that God conferred upon us because of his pleasure in his son, Jesus Christ. That's why this entire teaching is based upon the finished work of Christ. You and I get the privilege of being the beneficiaries of what Jesus did. So now I believe under grace and because I believe I have right teaching, I also understand I'm accepted in the beloved and because I know that I'm accepted and God loves me, out of my heart I have a gratitude and a desire to obey God. So I'm not obeying God to get God, but I'm obeying God because God has already 
done something for me. It is a desire. It is a cheerful privilege, in fact, that I get to obey God. Rather than trying to obey him just so I can get brand new points with God. Amen? Amen. Okay. Was that the other? Was, is, that, is that all? Oh, okay. This, okay, this is the actual. Oh, okay. This is the one they actually have problems with. Okay. All right. So number one here on the parole side, I'm self-reforming. Do it yourself. Self-helps. Rather than accept the help of the Holy Spirit. On a pardon, I'm regenerating. Trusting God for whatever needs to, be hap- to happen in my life. Under number, two, under number two, I'm in perpetual fear because I just don't know when God is going to get angry with me. I just don't know when I'm going to do something that's going to, you know, you know how some of you parents are? You just go off. <laughs> Your child does something, they bring a bad grade home from school, you go off. Amen? So now, if you're a parolee, you never know when your parole is going to be uh, uh, withdrawn and you go back to, to the slammer. Okay? But on the, on, the, on the pardon side, you are living a life of overflow from gratitude. Every day, every moment, thanking God for rescuing you, for delivering you, for blessing you, for giving you things you did not deserve. Your heart is full of gratitude, always. And you are not worried about making a mistake. Why? Because you are a child that is secured in your father's love. And then, I said, always a few decisions away from real health. That was where the people had the, the question. What I meant by that is, you understand that whenever there are issues you need to work on, problems in your life, you are just one decision away from making an adjustment to bring you into proper alignment of fullness or healthiness spiritually. So I'm, when I say healthy, I'm not, I'm not talking about cancer or diabetes. I'm talking about spiritual health. There are issues going on. There are struggles in your life. Let, let me just say this, and I need to move on to get into teaching today. Every sin and every issue we deal with, everyone, the root cause is that I've believed a lie about myself, I've believed a lie about God and I've bought a lie from Satan. All of it. it, it, The the root cause. So instead of dealing with all these uh, uh, fig leaves, just manifestations, go to the root. What is it you've believed about God that is a lie? What is it that you've believed about yourself that's a lie? What is it you believe about, about Satan that's a lie? You get to the root cause, you fix the problem. Amen? Amen. Ah, let, let me just, let me, yeah, let, let, let's, just, let's just go on. If, if another question comes up, I may address it, but let, don't let me spend too much time on that because this clock is already ticking. All right, Galatians chapter 3. So tonight we're talking about spiritual experience, or should I say, let me give you the full title, God's Grace confirmed by spiritual experience. And so in chapter 3 of Galatians, we're going to be seeing Paul setting the groundwork for a transition into another theme. I told you a couple of nights ago, there are three major themes in this book. Love versus grace, flesh versus spirit, and bondage versus freedom. So last night we addressed the love versus grace 
And tonight, we are going to see Paul begin to make that shift or establishing the groundwork for a transition into that next theme, which will be the flesh versus the spirit. So this is all part of Paul's logos. He had an ethos, which is his lifestyle. He had a pathos, which is his passion. And now, from the last, from the, for the last two nights now, we're dealing with the logos, which is the content of his message. So in Galatians chapter 3, let's just read from verses 1 through... Uh, one through five. Oh, foolish Galatians. Man, what a letter. <laughs> I mean, does it get any stronger than that? Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Now, by the way, you must understand, leave it there, leave it there, don't, don't move. You must understand that Paul had the change in his pocket to call these guys foolish. You must understand that. You can't go around calling just anybody foolish. You do that at your own peril. <laughs> He's paid the price as their apostolic father that allows him to speak to them in a particular way that nobody has cooled. So don't say you read this in the Bible, oh foolish Galatians, and then go your, call your husband, oh foolish husband. You'll be going for, for counseling for a long time. <laughs> if we try that. All right. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Next verse. This only I want to learn from you now. Paul is a classical lawyer. Honestly, I've heard that a long, I mean, I've read so many commentaries and, and, uh, and, and teachings where they talk about how Paul is a lawyer. But when you really get in this book, and you're hearing him cross-examine these people, almost like a courtroom. And then, and then the logic he pulls out to make his point, it's almost incredible, as we're about to see. This only I want to know from you. So he's asking them a series of questions. Number one, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law? And while you are thinking about answering that, let me ask you the second one. Or by hearing of faith. Next verse. Are you so foolish? In case you didn't hear me when I first said it, the first verse. <laughs> are you so foolish? Question number three now. Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Now, remember I told you the transition that is laying the groundwork for making the transition from love versus grace to flesh versus spirit. So now he introduces the word flesh in verse 3. Verse 4. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? And lastly, verse 5. Therefore, he who supplies their spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing 
of faith. So he asked them a series of questions. Just trying to get their attention and bring them back to proper alignment with the gospel of grace that he's preached to them. So, in his ongoing defense, Paul, in this chapter, builds this argument on two main things. Number one, the Galatians' own spiritual experience. That's why I asked them all those questions. Number two, the Old Testament corroboration. And that's why I'm saying that this guy is a classical lawyer, which you're going to see in a minute. So first of all, he asked them these questions to remind them that when they believed, they received the Holy Spirit. Give me verse 2 again, please. Galatians 32. Thank you. Going back to the question, he said, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So with that question, something becomes very, very clear. And that is, the Holy Spirit is the person who confirms our adoption. The Holy Spirit is the one who confirms that each one of us is a child of God. He questions what basis they receive the Holy Spirit. Is it by obeying the law or by simply believing? Which we know the answer. The Holy Spirit came to them not because they did anything, but because they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So then he goes on to ask them, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect? Or that word perfect is the same thing as the word complete. Are you made complete by the flesh? The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 10, that we are complete in him. So we know that your flesh does not complete you or perfect you, but Paul is just is backing them to a corner. Then he says, since they receive the Holy Spirit by believing, it is foolish to think that they can become more spiritual by the law. This is a very, very powerful thing. So he says, okay, now, the spirit that you got when you got born again, what did you do to get it? And since you are now born again, you are growing up, you are growing up into maturity, you are, you, are, you are growing up in your work with God. Is it your flesh that will now complete or perfect that process? Very important questions. And then, in verse 4, have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So now, this is the, this is the deal. Let's say, for instance, someone was sick. You went to Dr. Toneda, he gives you, she gives you, she said, because you go to work fine, I'm going to make you a deal. I'm going to give you free medication, just free meds. You don't, you're not paying for this. It's free. It's on the house. You go home, you take the medication, you get well. Praise God, you're healed. Now, some bootleg doctor comes behind her and wants to offer you a very expensive medication for the sickness you've been healed of. Now, you're already healed. And the treatment you received was free. 
But some bootleg comes around and says, oh, you know what? I'm going to cut you a deal. I'm going to give you medication for that sickness I heard about that you had a couple of weeks ago. It's only going to cost you a couple of thousand dollars. Is that a deal? No. Would you accept that? No. Would you not think that's foolish? Yes. That's exactly what Paul is telling those guys. You've gotten something from the Spirit of God freely. Didn't cost you a dime. And then you, you die that now, okay? And say, you know, to keep what you have, you're going to have to do ABC. Up and starting with circumcision. Then when you get done with that, let's go find a few more things, love Moses, for you to start doing, just to maintain what you got. That's, that's free. So Paul says to them, isn't that foolish? And the answer here tonight, by consensus, we all say it is ridiculously foolish. Not only that, in answer to them in verse 5, he said, listen, therefore he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law? And when you read Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 10, Paul, while he was with them, Miracles happened among them that they knew and saw and were familiar with. So he recalls that experience back to them and said, listen, go back to your foundation. Go back to your experience, things you yourself know. The miracles you saw, was it by the works of the law or by faith? Amen. Or did that miracle occur because those people had to become religiously observant of Jewish laws? The answer is no. Now, so as we go through this teaching tonight, I, I, want, to, I want to first mention, uh, let, let me address some observations based on what Paul has said so far. Because the truth of the matter is, if you and I are really going to truly be established in the message of the gospel, the gospel of God's grace, we must truly get to be very thoroughly acquainted with the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus has done his part and he has now given the rest up to the Holy Spirit to dispense and administer. The Holy Spirit in this present day is the administer of God's grace. That has to be clearly understood. And that's why Paul came out and began to ask them this series of questions regarding the Holy Spirit. So number one question, number one observation rather. Number one observation. People receive the Holy Spirit when they believe in Christ, not sometime later. Now, I'm not talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. When you became born again, the Holy Spirit took a precedence in you. In fact, in fact, you cannot be born again apart from the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 3 verse 6, Jesus was having a dialogue with Nicodemus. And he said to him, he that is born of this flesh is of the flesh. And he that is born of the Spirit is of the Spirit. In other words, Nick, if you want to be born again, the Holy Spirit is the way. 
go, go to John chapter 20, verse 22. John 20, verse 22. Thank you. John chapter 20, verse 22. And when he had said this, this is Jesus and his disciples, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. The apostles or the disciples of the Lamb, they could not be born again until this happened. After the resurrection. Receive the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's look at one more scripture, Romans 8, 9. Romans 8, 9. People receive the Holy Spirit when they believe in Christ. Not some time later. Romans 8, 9. But you are, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, if in spirit is well, if you need the Spirit of God to rest in you, that's full stop. Okay, good. Look at the next sentence. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Oh. Did you guys hear that? So, having the Holy Spirit as a believer is not a luxury. That's the only way to be a believer. Because it is the Holy Spirit who within us regulates us to live and walk uprightly. Amen? Number two observation. And I'm going to spend a little more time on this one. And that is, it is normal for Christians to experience the Holy Spirit when or soon after they believe. The key word there is the word experience. Okay? You begin to experience the workings of the Holy Spirit when you believe or soon thereafter. Why? He's the helper. He's the helper that Jesus gave us. John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. This helper was given to us through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Now, I'm going to give you quickly, very quickly, eight ways in which the Holy Spirit helps us, or eight ways in which you can begin to experience the Holy Spirit. And I think they're going to give it to you on the overhead. Thank you. These are some of the ways in which it provides help. Number one, it helps you to relate personally to God. I'm not going to go through the scriptures, but it's right there. You can see them. Now again, what I'm dealing with now is so important because this was the leading question from, from Paul to the Galatian church. The first five verses addresses their relationship with the Holy Spirit. Okay? So the Spirit of God helps me and you to relate personally to God. Number two, observation. It makes the Bible come alive. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. You heard the Bible, the Paul says, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has he entered the hearts of men. They think that God has prepared for them, for them that love him. However, they are revealed to us by heart. The Spirit. So the Holy Spirit makes the Bible come alive. Number three, 
He sensitizes our conscience. This is big, 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 big. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go there. Ephesians chapter 4. I'll read it from, just keep your place there, Revelation, I'll just read this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Look what it says. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. How do you get that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, it sensitizes your conscience. When something happens that's a violation, it blows the whistle. It brings the alert to you. Bank, mm, what you did just now, it's not, it's not quite like you. This is not what I died for. It breaks, it breaks into attention. Amen? Number four. It gives you special bond with other Christians. Philippians 2 verses 1 and 2. Next one. It gives you desire to defend Jesus and share your faith. The next one, it delivers you from destructive habits. Galatians, 1, Galatians 5, 16. Next, it prompts you to love people in specific ways. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 38. And lastly, it gives you hope in spite of difficult circumstances. Romans 15, 13. Now I must say this, the Bible didn't say that we will experience all of these things immediately when you receive Christ. Or that you will experience them all of the time. Or that your experience will be exactly like other people. I need to tell you that so you can manage your expectation. We are unique persons. And therefore, the Holy Spirit gives each of us exactly what we need to assure us of his presence. And so, number three observation. The eight things I gave you just now are sub under number two. So, number three now. Thirdly, we receive the Spirit's help by simply believing God's promises. By simply believing his promises. Amen? The Bible talks about how if me or you, being evil, knows how to give good gifts to our children, how much more God through the Holy Spirit. Amen? But whatever God promises us, we understand that we can appropriate it by simply believing. Good. Now, so that's the first part of Paul's writing to Galatians in chapter 3. He addresses the Holy Spirit very squarely. 
So from verse 6 onwards, and I'm not going to read it, it's, very, it's a lot, from 6 to 25, he begins to talk about, uh, let me go there. Uh, okay, let me just read one verse. Galatians 3, 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So now, he's making a switch here now. He wants to begin to address a very, very important question that nobody asked. <laughs> Actually, we asked the question last night or night before, and that is, was salvation or redemption by faith or by the working of the law in the Old Testament? Because understand, like I told you last night, these Judaizers were Jewish men and women who had become the custodians of the oracles of God for years. They served God through the tabernacle worship, the temple worship, and they had over 600 laws, statutes, ordinances, principles that guided their every way of living for years. And, the Jew, and, 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 and Jesus came out of the Jewish nation to be the Messiah. So Paul, being the lawyer he is, he's saying, yeah, I understand your Jewish heritage. I know, I know, you are of the tribe of Israel. I understand that. I understand that you guys believe in the Old Testament. So now, if you are having a struggle about whether we should serve God by faith or through the works of the law, let me help you understand that even from the beginning, under the Old Testament that you esteem so highly, that God, never intended for people to worship on the basis of works of the law. If I can prove it to you using your own scriptures, mind you, when Galatians was written, there was no New Testament. He could not make his point from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It was not written. He could not refer to the book of Acts. He could not refer to Ephesians. He could not refer to Romans. So the only available reference material he had was the Old Testament. And Paul said, that's good enough. Oh my God. May God help you and I to get to the place where we understand the word of God to where it does not matter what pitch they open, we can still find the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Paul said, really, you want to go there? Let's go. And he pulled from his archive one of the iconic Jewish names, Abraham. Because he knew there was not one of those guys who did not know Abraham or at least have heard something about him. Let's see how God dealt with Abraham, he says. And then we can begin to talk about the rest of the story. So, from Galatians chapter 3 verses 6 and 7, he established to them that even Abraham was saved by faith, not works. Oh, 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 oh. Woo. This is so clear because we saw God's interaction with Abraham in Genesis 15 from verses 1 through 6. Can you just give me the scripture, please, very quickly? 
Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. Abraham was saved by faith. We know that because the law had not yet been given. When God said that Abraham, I count it unto you as being righteous. Amen. The law was not there and God counted the man righteous. As if that was not enough. We knew Abraham could not have been saved by his own righteousness. Why? We have his dozier. We have Abraham's profile. We saw what he did when he went to Egypt. When the Egyptian king was perhaps going to get his wife, what did he do? Ah, she's my sister. He lied. And while he was waiting on God to have a child, what did he do? He went on his wife's maid or servant. Now, please think of all of that. And yet God tells us in Romans chapter 4 verse 20 that Abraham staggered not at the promises of God. <laughs> oh no, I don't know if you guys got it. You guys didn't get it. This man who wavered, who questioned, who did not believe what God was saying to him, at the end of the day, when God wrote for us his resume, yeah. his profile, God said, let me brag on my son Abraham. He never wavered. He never staggered. He believed me all the way to the end. Hallelujah! I'm saying that to you so you know how God is bragging on you. The Bible says he sings over us with joy. God is not looking at your demerits. He's looking at the finished work in his son and he's giving you credit as if you've already done it. That's why you can have a heart of gratitude. I'm saying to myself, God, is it the same Abraham we read about? Right. You are telling me he didn't stagger in his faith? He hoped against hope? Are you kidding me? God said, that's just you. Like, from my perspective, he, he didn't fail. He didn't fail. We need to understand this. Because that's where God sees you. Nathaniel, but Matthew Jesus, can any good thing come out of Nazareth. I can just see him saying it with a smirk on his face. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? But when Jesus saw him, behold an Israelite in whom there's no God. Wow. Did he hear me talk about him last week? He heard. But he's not going to put that in your account. How about Peter? Whom Jesus warned before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And lo and behold, before the cock crowed, the guy was shaking in his boots. Oh, I don't know him. Oh, I'd rather see him before. And the Bible says in the book of Luke, Jesus turned and made eye contact with Peter and Peter started crying. But watch this. When Peter was restored and met with Jesus face to face, Jesus never referenced it. He did not ask him, why did you do it? Why did he not ask? Because there's nothing that you do that will ever shock God. Heaven is not in the panic. Hey, what is Ban going to do tomorrow? Yay! Oh, he made you. He made me. 
I mean, when I read in Acts 13, verse 22 about David, God called him a man after my own heart. I said, God, you must not know the same David. Are you kidding me, David? The son of Jesse? Ah! Back in the day, you can't have your little girl and David. But yeah, God says, it's my from my heart. It didn't stop there. Comma, who will do all of my will? I said, finish. God, you finished me. What? Now, you must understand this. I'm not saying these things to give you and I a license to be careless and reckless. No. No. Because if you really get the message out of gratitude, you want to protect the integrity of the relationship. You don't want to do anything that will, oh my God, remotely create any displeasure for him. When you understand the price he paid in your behalf. That's what keeps us. What keeps us is the element of the no condemnation. To the woman that was caught in adultery in John chapter 8. When those Pharisees were all gone, it was just Jesus and the woman standing. Notice what Jesus said to her. Who condemns you? Then he says, neither do I. Comma. Then he said, go and sin no more. So he charged her not to sin. But before he did that, he gave her a no condemnation slate. It is the no condemnation that empowered the not sinning. Okay, that's another, another day. Let's move on. Genesis 15, good. 8.10, is that time correct? <laughs> After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abraham, I'm your shield, your exceeding great reward. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me since I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Now, this is the guy that God said is the instagger. God. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall be your hair, but one who will come from your own body shall be your hair. Verse 5. Then he brought him outside. Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants, your descendants be. Can you imagine this? And in verse 6. And he believed in the Lord. And he accounted it to him for righteousness. No law was given. Abraham didn't have to do anything. And God says, you are righteous. Why? Because you believe the word of God. Just like that. Our problem in religion is God is too simple. We have to complicate it and make it complex. He simply believed and God said, good enough. Good enough. So, this is Paul's argument. Abraham was saved by faith. Number two, 
In Paul arguing his case. This is Galatians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 now. What he's saying to them in Galatians 3, 8 and 9, and the scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you, all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. What's the point he's making? Salvation by faith is for everyone. Not just for Abraham and his descendants. Everyone. Number three point he was making. Galatians chapter 3 verses 10 through 12. For as many as of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, curse is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith. Oh, you need to underline that. Yet the law is not of faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. What's the point? People have never been saved by the law. No one has ever been saved by the law. Now, as believers, we must be very careful. This same chapter tells us that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us. I believe Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 and 14. But the danger for you and I is when we choose to live under the law, which we can never fulfill, when you make that choice, you just place yourself under a curse. God didn't place you there. You just, you just made that choice. We were redeemed from the curse. Why do you want to go back there? Faith, save all from the curse of the law. Amen? Now, Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. We're moving right along here. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet it is confirmed, rather, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed, capital S, were the promises made. He does not say unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Now, this is a biggie. And let me just take my time to explain this. What Paul is saying is this. The promise came before the law. God gave the promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Which we're going to read that in a minute. Genesis chapter 12 verses 1, 2, 3. We're going to read that in a minute. So Paul is saying, listen. You guys are keep crying about law, 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 law. Don't you recognize that the promise came before the law? The law only came 430 years after the promise was given. So it's not saying to them, as a human being, you enter into agreement with another human being. 
And humans have enough sense to know that when you have an agreement, you honor the agreement. How much more God? If a man and a man understands that when we have an agreement, we honor the agreement. Will God now make an agreement with Abraham that a law 430 years later will come and negate? No. It's not possible. Let that sink in. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. For a long time, I did not recognize some of the things I'm saying tonight as in, let me give an example. I thought under the Old Testament covenant, that people could only be a part of what God was doing only on the basis of the law. As the men were only right with God when they made the sacrifices. In fact, I wrote a book about it. That's what I thought. But Paul challenged my thinking. He challenged my thinking. Because not only was Abraham saved by faith, how about Rahab? How about Rahab, the harlot? I know what you're thinking, so let me say that for you. How about Ruth, the Moabite? How did she become accepted in the kingdom of God in Israel? What did she do? So Paul is saying, listen, the promise God made stands irrespective of the fact that the law came 430 years later. The law did not cancel out the promise. That was a biggie. Was a biggie. God did not just take the promise away because law came. No. Now, you, have to, you now have to ask the question, why then did he bring the law? We'll address that in a minute. Let's go to this promise for a quick second. Genesis chapter 12. From what we see, a promise is a will that cannot be altered. But I want us to pay attention to this promise that God made Abraham for a minute. And as you are paying attention to it, don't forget that Abraham was called out by God from a pagan background. Had never been to your Sunday school classes. Had never been to a Galatian seminar. Had never participated in anything God. A bona fide, head-to-toe pagan. And God calls him out. Now the Lord has said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I said that so quickly. Go back. I will. Don't forget that. That last line of verse 1. I, who's going to show it to him? Ah, okay. Look at verse 2. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Verse 3. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Please, ladies and gentlemen, all you bright scholars here tonight, how much stuff is Abraham supposed to do in this promise? Hello? 
what was God expecting Abraham to do? Because everything, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. That's the promise. I will show you the land. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And anyone who blesses you, I will bless them. Abraham, your only part in this deal is to believe what I've just told you. That's what the promises of God does. We cannot make it happen. We cannot even think about it. Was Abraham praying? Was he on a 99-day fast for God's blessing? No! God sovereignly, out of the largeness and the goodness of his heart, decided he wants to bless this man and embarrass him with blessing. I said, I take it upon myself. Abraham, all you have to do, just come along for the ride and just believe me. Is that too hard for us tonight? To believe God for his blessings? To believe him at his word, at his promises? The promises that the Bible describes as yes and amen. The thief on the cross with Jesus as he was being crucified. What did the guy do? He simply says, Jesus, when are you getting into your kingdom? Can you put this in your Google diary to just remember me? Can, can you just put that in your, can you just remember me? That's, just remember me. Ah, he said, this day, you'll be over in paradise. What did he do? We are making it too complicated. And I'm praying in the name of Jesus that God will help us not to get away from the simplicity of the gospel. Amen. That pro- those sets of promises was unconditional. <laughs> it was not up to Abraham except to believe. Let me just try to wrap this up in the next eight minutes. So the point then is, why did God give the law? Why do we even have to talk about it? If that was not his original plan or intent. You know, there are hundreds of laws in the Old Testament. Hundreds of them. One tells us that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, our body, our soul, and our mind. Leviticus 19, 18, I think, says we should love our neighbor as ourselves. Just, just do two. Out of this, over 600 laws, let's just t- t- take those two out. How, how well have we done today on those two? <laughs> Loving God with all of your heart, all your mind, all your body, all your soul. How, how well have you done on that? And then, how about the next one? Love your neighbor as yourself including your next door neighbor who does not cut his grass. <laughs> or the man or the woman that sits next to you in the cubicle at your job. That irritates you with their loud music all of the time. Because it's love them. So how many times in one day would you break those laws? Let's assume you do the rest of the 628. But these two just become... 
where are you with that? Because it says if you stumble on one, you're getting all. So the point is, why did God give these laws? Very quickly, number one, it was added because of transgressions. Galatians chapter 3, 19. Galatians 3, 19 actually says, what purpose then does the law serve? It actually asks the question. And it answers for us, it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come. And it defined the seed for us in verse 16. That seed is Christ. So at best, the law had an expiration date. The law was added until, that's a time element, until the seed, which is Christ, will come. But to the point, it was added because of transgression. What does that mean? God saw that these guys were doing things that were destructive. And he just figured, out, let me give them some guidelines so they don't destroy themselves. So they understand perimeters and boundaries so that they do not destroy themselves. Very much like in the same way as you have a river flowing down the stream and the river has two banks. What does the bank do for the river? It guides the flow of the water. It does not allow the water to overflow and bring destruction to the surrounding. That's the purpose of the law. But that's not all. There's another one. Second purpose. Second purpose. Oh, I'm going to get to that tomorrow. Maybe I better not say it now because I can't explain it properly now. There's a second purpose. A second, but we're going to get that tomorrow night. But the point here is the law was also given to shut us up. It did not give any life, but it shut us up on that scene and led us to Christ. Okay, let, okay let, let me explain that. What do I mean by that? The Bible says we are all shut up. Almost like in prison. Under sin. Why? Because God was going to use the law to lead us to Christ. And I'll explain that properly tomorrow because it's, it's a lot to it. Amen? The law, Galatians tells us, verse 24, is a schoolmaster or a tutor to lead us to Christ. Yeah, through the law. Okay, okay, okay. Every time those guys kill an animal, every time they slaughter a goat, a ram, a bull, or, or a bird, and the blood was shed, it was prophetic and talking about the Lamb of God which was to come. Amen? So it was prophetic. It gave them a signal, a symbol, as to the fact that Jesus was in fact, coming. So, two things tonight we talked about tonight. Number one, the Spirit of God, the important role and place of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Huge. That is very huge. You and I should be talking to the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. On a regular basis. He's the one that knows the mind of the Father and reveals that mind to us by the Spirit. And secondly, Paul made it abundantly clear. That even in the Old Testament, 
people related to God on the basis of faith, not law or works. Amen? Woo, praise God. I got two minutes left on the clock. Amen. <laughs> so these notes are available already. Uh, take advantage of them. And not only that, if you have any questions, please write them down, bring them in, or send them by email or WhatsApp so we can address them on Sunday. Amen? Good. So tonight, let's just, let's just bless God in our giving tonight. Uh, this is Wednesday night. So let's, just, let's just worship God through our giving. Um, you are not in a compulsion, but just be a blessing to God. Uh, do you have the kindred number? I don't know it. If you want to text your giving, you can text it. If you want to write a check, bring cash. Amen. Amen. Pastor Tosin, can you, can you come and just 